0: Hi, this is Jackie Miller, the host of this podcast, Out of Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. I have had many requests to discuss the topic of custody evaluations. I am thrilled to have an amazing guest who is an expert on the subject. Renee Rodriguez is the founder of Best Foot Forward Consulting, and she is a custody strategist and coach. Renee is going to walk us through custody evaluations, why they are important, and what you need to know to nail one, should you ever have to. Hello, Renee Rodriguez. Thank you so much for joining me on At a Crazy Town, your guide to divorcing a narcissist. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. I am over the moon that you are joining me today on this podcast, because I think we might actually break the internet with the downloads when people see what this episode is about. You to me are basically the guru of custody strategy. I know it's a huge pain point for a lot of our clients and it's such a difficult minefield journey and, you know, path to walk. And so it's just any information people can get. I know they're going to be super grateful for. Um, So I know that you basically uh, got here. I kind of say that we're forged by fire. We ended landed where we are today because of uh, what we had to go through. And so you are an expert on custody and evaluations, et cetera, because of what you went through your own journey. And um, I just wanted to tell everybody a little bit because on your website, which is bestfootforwardllc.com, you talk about how you went through your own battle with forensic evaluation. And you have over 20 years of coaching and strategy experience and over five years of experience in the family court system. So mm-hmm. you're overqualified, <laughs> fortunately <laughs> yes. or unfortunately, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And so therefore you're the founder of Best Foot Forward. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about custody evaluations. I guess what I would really like to start off with is telling us all why they're so important when they come into your sphere
1: with the custody evaluations. Yeah. yeah. You know the reason that they are so important is simply that 85 to 90% of judges will go along with whatever that evaluator recommends in their report. An evaluator as um I imagine some of your audience knows, some maybe not, they basically set out a report at the end of the evaluation. Saying these are my recommendations for legal custody, these are my recommendations for physical custody, all that kind of stuff. Um, Even if you go to trial, 85 to 90% of judges are likely to say, you know what, thank you for three days of this. I think probably the evaluator knows best. And that's where it'll end up.
0: Yeah. And so oftentimes, I know, well, I'll see two things happen, right, where either you are requesting maybe an evaluation from your side, or the other side requests it, or the judge will just jump up and say, hey, guess what, I'm going to order a custody evaluation. And it's, you know, yeah. could even be something you didn't
1: expect. Who, who does custody evaluations? So if whether you're appointed or whether you request a custody eval, you're often given a list of professionals who might do that eval for you. Um, most of the time, it's some kind of a psychologist. So it might be a psychiatrist, psychotherapist, um, but they will have a specialty. They will specialize or have a degree in forensic evaluation, you can sometimes choose other options, um, like a licensed social worker, a clinical social worker can be chosen as well. And I always hear a lot of people say, well, we always want that psychologist, we always want that. But the truth is, you actually just want the best person to do it, the person who has the best understanding, because you can have a psychologist who just doesn't get it and a social worker who actually gets it quite clearly. And then in, you know, rare areas, every once in a while, you'll see somebody where they will say that their pastor is the one who did the evaluations or a retired judge or a current judge um, or even a mediator or a lawyer. But the majority of the time, the vast majority of the time, you're going to get some form of a psychologist doing it.
0: Okay. And, you know, I have told clients that if they feel like they see this coming down the pike to maybe go ahead and go out and start doing some research and having this conversation with their attorneys and have names ready.
1: Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, yeah. You wanna figure out who who gets it, who gets the domestic violence, because uh, unfortunately at this time, what I'm finding from all of my clients and everything I've researched, the majority of them do not. So you're really looking for the gems, right? And you can work with your lawyer. You can also sort of hit up your Facebook group. I'm a big fan of the One Mom's Battle Facebook groups for yes. your city. Um, you can go on there and you can say, hey, uh, we're going to need a forensic evaluator or a psych evaluator. Who have you guys used? Let me know if we should stay away from them or try to get them.
0: Absolutely. You know, the word of mouth on those uh, is. Just priceless, and I completely agree with you. And for folks out there, that is basically how Renee and I know each other. We have crossed paths through Tina Swithin and One Mom's Battle, and and um, you were a presenter in her certification program, which is awesome. And that is exactly true. I know that in the Los Angeles area, that's where I've found names for folks because you know once you find an evaluator who gets it. You know, you, you best definitely want to present that to the court. Um, and then, you know, I always say too, when you do your homework, like don't make the judge think. Do do it do it for him or her, right? So if you have names ready for the other side or whatnot, don't let them just start assigning people willy nilly if you can if you can right. avoid it.
1: Yeah, you should always walk into the courtroom prepared, and it's good to have three to five names. I do recommend that if you, I try to get five names. That's what I tell my clients: try to find five if you can, if it's possible. Wow. Okay. And then what you do is you only submit the first three, um, and then you have to know your know your narcissist. So you have to know your ex and know whether or not they are likely to choose any of those three. You have to be strategic about it. So do you want to put your top choice within those top three, or do you want to hold back to submit it in the next round? Um, because if you have the type of narcissist who will say no to everything you say, even if you ask him if you'd rather it was sunny on his birthday or rainy because you'd prefer sunny, he's going to say, well, I prefer rainy. So if that's your type of narcissist, then maybe you hold back the name you want and be strategic about it.
0: That is brilliant. I've never thought about that. Um, just having the other, the other couple names in the hopper and not divulging them. So you can be like, okay, fine. You don't want those three. I guess here's two more that I could live with <laughs> that, you know, but that it's true. That's, that is how you have to approach it <laughs> all about strategy, which again, which is why you're the expert. Um, so, okay, let's get a little bit more into the actual custody evaluation. So you're in the beginning. Um, I know there's basically a questionnaire, right, that you usually
1: start off with. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, I think a lot of people think of the questionnaire as the intake form, and uh, many times an evaluator will label it an intake form instead of a questionnaire, but okay. usually it's the type of thing where they've given you at least a few, if not several pages, where they're asking you a lot of logistical information, um, your address, your work history, your child's school history, and um, medical history. Your medical history, et cetera. But they will also go into questions where you're giving uh, open ended, they're open ended questions for you to give longer answers. Um, The mistake I think that one could make there is to get that done and get that in. Now, you do want to get that in as soon as possible, but you want to be thoughtful about it. So when you're answering these questions, you do want to be including the whole picture without looking like all you're doing is picking on your ex from the start. So try to be as objective as you can when you're answering these questions, but really make sure they're well thought out. Now you're going to want to ask, when are you expecting to get this back? And often you'll hear something like, well, whenever you get them done, we know it's going to take you time. So if it's possible for you to get it done in under two weeks, I do recommend that. I like one week But I'm also aware of the fact that um, we're talking about single parents, we're talking about trying to hold down a career if you have one, we're talking about still recovering from a lot of different things, the change, the transition, the abuse. So wherever you're at that week, you might not be able to just do it in a week, but you do want to set down chunks of time where you're sitting down, you're being thoughtful, you create a draft, and then you finalize it, right? So if you're writing it out which, and this is an important thing to note, some evaluators will say, I want you to have it written. Sometimes these evaluators are looking at your handwriting, right? They're doing a little bit of a handwriting analysis or a full handwriting analysis to just start to glean something about your personality. Okay, so be thoughtful if you're writing it out, right? The other thing is, if you're writing it out, you may run out of room, be thoughtful about the way that you are writing more. Um, Flip over to the back of the page instead of starting to go up the side and trail down (laughs) and that type of thing. Um, Show that you are organized and that you think straight, right? We wanna show um, how mentally capable you are and sometimes these little tricks are something that they're looking for. But even if you are writing it out, as hard as it is, either type it out or write it out someplace else first so that you can see what you are saying. Yeah. Then write out what you've whittled it down to, what you've edited it to. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the same thing if you're doing it online.
0: And the bottom line is that's your chance at the first impression, right? It is like the you first said. Yeah.
1: Right. Which is why yeah. you don't want to be bad mouthing them, but you want to be succinct but thorough. And that's something that my clients hear from me almost too much succinct but thorough. So how do you do that? Well, you want to make sure that you don't trail off. And when you have PTSD, when you've gone through trauma, it is very easy to trail off.
0: That is so true.
1: Yeah. And the questionnaire is the most controlled place for you to not trail off because once you're face to face with them, if they're the type of evaluator who shows sympathy that encourages you to start trailing off. Mm. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. But while we're on the questionnaire, try to be succinct, but thorough. Get all the facts in there as objectively and as kindly as you can. Awesome. So the next big thing I get asked about all
0: the time is evidence. What do I present? And I know this is a huge huge question, so we'll probably just have to touch on it. Or so you're going to want to get help, but can you just kind of give us a little
1: bit of guideline? Um, yeah. Well, um, if you haven't heard it before, um, I'll 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 say it for you. But I'm sure many of you have. You want to document everything, right? That being said, you're really only using a small percentage in the end of everything that you've documented, yeah. right? So then, how to approach this because it's overwhelming? You know, I was just talking to someone today, talking to her about her overwhelm um, because she's paralyzed now. You don't want to get to that point where you become paralyzed and unable to face it. You're already being triggered by what you have to go through. Yeah. So you want to decide what it is that you're going to use when you present your evidence. What I will say is this is the one this is usually, generally speaking, the person who should get the best of your evidence. This is where usually you're not holding back your cards anymore, right? This is the one who should see it, because remember, 85 to 90% of judges are going to go with whatever that report says. Right. right. The flip side of that, of course, is the problem that we see. A lot of times I'll have people come to me saying, I don't know how the evaluator didn't see everything. And when we sit down and we go through everything they gave them, they gave that evaluator hundreds upon hundreds, sometimes over a thousand pages. Yes. Um, they're not going to read it. And that's a problem for you. So when you are putting together your documentation, the first thing you want to do is you want to create categories. What are your categories? And they could be anything. The first place I think you want to start, though, is go to your jurisdiction, your county's website for the family court, and see what they consider to be in the children's best interest. Uh Now, you're going to notice that pretty much every jurisdiction here in Canada, Singapore, UK, Australia, they all pretty much say the same thing right? Okay. But each jurisdiction will have a little specifics and they'll place things in a little bit of a different order. Mm. Attention to that. Don't just look at it as one general thing, because I can tell you it does differ slightly. And these are little clues as to what that particular jurisdiction likes to focus on a bit more. All right. Let that sort of guide some of your categories. Okay. You'll see things there like, you know, we consider in the best interest of the children. You, you, if you're unlucky, you'll just get one sentence that says, you know, whatever... Is best for them, right? Right. But many times they might have some bullet points or ABCD where they'll talk about whichever child they're, whichever parent they're closest to, Um, whichever parent they'll even talk about work schedules sometimes. They'll talk about, sometimes they'll get into specifics. See if your jurisdiction lists out those specifics and start using some of those as your categories. Because if you work from home and are completely flexible with your 40 hour a week job, but he's 40 plus odd hours, And he's on the road and he travels all the time. And that's on your website, your jurisdiction's website as something that they take into deeper consideration. You're going to want to spotlight that.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Then we also get into besides, you know, what they're putting down there, which sometimes veers into concerns, really, probably the reason that you are going to court is because of egregious concerns, right? It might be abuse. It might be neglect, addiction, Right. Any number of things. OK. Right. Um, You want to figure out what those categories are for you, what your issues are, what his issues are and your concerns are with him. And I want to just pause really quickly and say that I do generally speak in terms of the client being the, the abuse victim being female only yes. because overwhelmingly statistically it is female right. so i'm just generalizing when i say that okay. and i i know and i usually have to throw out this caveat on every podcast i do have male clients that tell me that they they really appreciate that so thank you for saying yeah, that absolutely absolutely and it's i've plenty of male clients where we see that they're going through it too but we're going to speak generally today according to the statistics all right sure you're going to want to figure out what those categories are and then you're gonna to wanna to pick what I call the gold, right? So sometimes you're gonna have one or two, maybe more, but there's usually some evidence that's just gold. Right? Maybe you've uncovered the account in the Cayman Islands. Maybe they've written you an email where they have confessed things, but blamed it on you, but they've confessed it. Yeah. Maybe, do you see what I'm saying? So, yes. or maybe the teacher finally sent that email saying, look, when your kid is dropped off on Fridays, which happens to be Thursday overnights, right? Right. Your kid is a mess. What's going on? How can I help? That's gold. That third person, that professional, that's gold. Yes. That's got to be a category for you. And you're going to start with that. But you do want to take every category and you want to pick. When I'm working with clients, I ask them to narrow it down to about 10 to 20 pieces of evidence. And then together we figure out how to bring it down to about three to seven pieces, right? And that's really all you're submitting, but when you submit it, you put the word "selected," and that tells them that there is a mountain more of this kind of behavior and proof that you've got that you could bring in and show them, right? But you're not going to do that unless they ask. But you will have it ready. But for now, this is the stuff you know they need to see to get as clear a picture as possible. I love that because I have had that conversation before, where I said,
0: you know, you need to be very selective. Pick the, you know, the, the top three most egregious, you know, things that have been done. You know, here's three examples. I have, you know, twenty more. If, should you want to see them, but it, but in the interest of being respectful of your time, and you're right, it's awesome because you see their so wheels start turning. Like you have twenty more <laughs> you know, of these, but but it just goes to show that you were thoughtful and you were just you're really just highlighting the stuff that's that's really important. And that leads me into how you present this, which is kind of what I was alluding to a second ago, because you do have to be careful. You wanna show all the information and how, let's say dad is falling down on the job, but you can't look vindictive and bitter and ever, it's gotta always be about the kids. So how do you do that?
1: So I think for my money, it's a mistake to walk in with a big old three ring binder that you're ready to hand to them and sort of say, this is what I'm dealing with. I think that what I have found works best is that you introduce the concept of it carefully right um i don't think you want to show an eagerness to give them everything you've got but i do think you want to show a willingness and i you want to show that you are organized and you've got what they need to show something there are subtle ways to do that okay. for example um remember that when you're and i know we'll go into interviews a bit more but when you're talking about when they're asking you questions all manners of questions um sometimes they want to lead you to bad mouthing your ex right yeah And it's best to be succinct, but thorough. And so really what you wanna do is you wanna say, well, there there was an incident where Tommy didn't get out of the bath right away because he was enjoying the bubbles and his father was irritated by it. So he started screaming at him and he punched a hole in the bathroom wall um, just above the tiles. Um, And that was really scary. And you know, I couldn't get Tommy to sleep that night and that's it. He punched a hole in the wall, really? Yeah, I mean, I ended up, I mean, I have a picture of it. I can, I'm happy to share it with you, right? As soon as they say that they're willing to start seeing things or, you know, if they say to you, um, you know, well, uh, Sam says that what you did was you set up all these appointments without ever getting in touch with him or telling him a thing about it. Why are you not communicating with him? Oh, I did, um, we're using OFW now, but even before then we were using Gmail. Um, I, I can send you those so that you can see them. Um, and you can see also that they were on the calendar, they're their time stamped as to when they were put on the calendar. Um, and a few of them, he even replied with okay or whatever. So I, I'll just, I can send those to you so that you can see when that happened and you can kind of see what really happened there. Um, great, could you please send those? And sometimes I'll ask for that stuff. That becomes an opening. Um, And so you can work with your coach um, or you can Mm -hmm. work with your lawyer. I always recommend a coach because many of us are, I know you and I are trained in narcissism, so we know what's going to land. We know what's going to fly. Right. right? Um, And also we're generally uh, less money (laughs) than a $450, $750 an hour lawyer. Yes, But the bottom line is, you're going to want some help organizing it. um, And that's when you're going to want to put that together and send more than what they asked for while marking it selected so that you're not overwhelming them when all they asked for was this. It's kind of like, since you asked for this, I realized that you had mentioned that he also said something about there was an allegation that I did this. I also threw in, you know, something to respond to that and some examples of um, other things I've done to collaborate and let them know ahead of time before a parent teacher conference, a dentist appointment, a soccer scrimmage, Mm -hmm. a ballet recital, et cetera. Thank you for walking through those examples,
0: because I think for those people listening that maybe have an evaluation on the horizon or worried about it, listen to Renee's tone. And I know you've been doing this a long time and you're a coach, but literally listen to your tone and how you just delivered that example, because it was businesslike and it yes. was an emotional and you're delivering the information. And of course, this is about your children. It's the most emotional thing you're going to ever have to deal with. Awesome. But yeah. the way you deliver it, showing that you can be a calm, rational human being, and you're not the crazy one which is i'm pretty sure what the other side is trying to right. uh, to say right. and it your delivery really matters
1: it does matter and so when i have you know clients who when we do practice sessions um, i could tell you a couple of the things that we almost always pretty consistently pull out from every client, no matter how, I mean, and and listen, guys, I want to be very clear here. We're talking about um, CEOs. We're talking about corporate lawyers. We're talking about family lawyers that I work with. We're talking about um, my client. We're talking about waitresses and, um, you know, customer service and caregivers. We're talking the whole gamut. Yeah. Um, So it's not about the level of confidence, no matter how confident or wherever you were in the world before, man, they really ripped something away from you and you don't want that to show up in an evaluation. So really one of the things that we lift out as soon as we can is the pleading that comes into your voice. The, and the pleading comes from a, you've got to see who this guy really is. And the pleading comes from, um, please, please believe me, I know this sounds crazy. It even sounded crazy to me when I first, when it first started. Um, And so there's a little bit of a, you know, this happened and and then this, and then this, and your voice starts to raise. Um, And so you do want to be able to go in and speak as factually as you can and show a strong, firm, loving parent. That being said, I, there are plenty of evaluators who are looking for there to be some emotion. So here's what I always say. Okay. You do want to let the emotion come when it does. But the level at which you want it to come is usually um, like that old SNL sketch where they used to say, I'm verklempt, I'm for verklempt, where it's like, <laughs> you yes. starting to cry. We can do that so easily. And I'm not talking manipulation at all. I'm talking that it actually... Should be as far as you let that get, yeah. and it's okay to say, "I just I want to take a breath," or "Let me just breathe for a minute." For some people, breathing causes them to cry, mm-hmm. so you have to figure out what it is. You know, yeah. I think the the remember the um, physiological tip that I gave. I think when when uh, in Tina's course, which is to say, um, take your tongue and stick it on the roof, push it up against the roof of your mouth as hard as you can without causing pain. Right. Right comfort but just push it up really hard up there. And that physiologically will stop you from crying. Just give your, just say, you know, I just need a minute, push your tongue there or do it while they're talking. And um, it actually uh, you'll, you'll reach for client for sure. We can't pull that back completely, but it does actually physiologically keep you from turning into someone who's weeping in front of them. Right. Because we don't, you touched on it, Mental instability, mental illness uh, is something that is becoming, um, you know, uh, certain rights groups' um, war cry, right? It's their battle cry. Well, look yeah. at her. She's, you know, she's mentally unstable, right? And so, unfortunately, let's realize the gender bias. So you do want to be aware of that when you're in there, right? And, uh, you know, you don't want to be doing a lot of crying, right? When they cry, it's kind of like, what an amazing father. But when a woman cries, she became a mess in my office, right? So um, you do have to be aware of that. And (laughs) so much of what we speak about here, Jackie, is unfair. Yeah. But Um, what I'm a strategist. And so I'm here to just we got it. We understand the systems and we communicate strategically. That's what we need to learn to do. That's it that you're right. I
0: I, I tell clients that all the time. I'm here to get you what you want. You told me what your goals are. And so, you know, (laughs) yes, we're just here to strategize. And you're right. It's not fair.
1: But we got to move on and talk about how to get there. And and I want to be really clear and say that it is not just, and I know you and I have talked about this, that it goes beyond what you want, that really the client, um, the client for us comes down to your children and getting away from the post separation abuse. And so there have certainly been times where I've said to a parent, you know, this is maybe might be better for your kids because sometimes our parents who like a 223, um, and I am admittedly not a fan of 50 50 with a narcissist, but But, you know, we, you know, just because it's convenient for you, I mean, we have to look at what's best for the kids. And then that's what we help you fight for, um, as well as getting away from as much post-separation abuse as we can.
0: Yep, absolutely. Thank you for pointing that out. I appreciate it. Um, I want to talk about one quick fun tip. And first of all, quick feedback. I have had clients use the tongue against the roof of the mouth. Great success. So thank you. It's a real thing, you guys use it. it (laughs) Um, And you also gave a great tip that I loved because I know sometimes it will come on the intake form in a question, uh, but then also in the interview. And they'll ask, interviewers or evaluators may ask like, tell me about how you and your ex first met or how how this got. And again, going back to you don't want to just come off just as bitter and vindictive and whatnot. You know, you're here for a reason. You're here for the best interest of your kid how do you get yourself in that mindset? And you have this great trick for talking nicely about your ex. Yes.
1: Formula. Yeah. So the formula, yes. (laughs) The formula is not just for, um, it is for, you know, talking nicely about your ex. It is also for what I call leading the horse to water right? Uh, because we know that, and I, I, it hurts my heart every time to say this, but we know that we don't want to be saying abuse. We don't want to use that word, even though that is hands down what it is. Yeah. Uh, we know that the statistics show that as soon as you bring it up, your chances of losing custody raise significantly, right? So then we need to lead them to water. We need them to understand that it's abuse. So here's the formula when they ask you how you met your ex or what was your relationship like or detail the relationship, whatever they ask that fits that frame, right? Then um, the first thing that you want to do is you want to say, well, when I met him, he was. And then you're going to want to go into and describe the person who they are seeing, the person who they are meeting with, the person who the mask that your narcissist puts up the one who charmed you. So instead of sitting and thinking about what he was like when you first met him or her, then what you really want to do is you want to sit and think about who they are meeting and write down all of those qualities, right? Does he have an infectious laugh? Does he have twinkling blue eyes? Is his hair perfectly uh, fixed, right? Um, you know, is he dressed beautifully? Is he? Does he listen is it just such a great listener? Yeah, so um, awesome. you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. T- yeah. Right. Any words you can think of that um, it, the way he's presenting in court, the way you know he's going to present to them. After you look at that list, circle every one of them. That was what you saw when you met him as well. Right. And it might be all of them. But whatever number it is, circle everything in that list that is what you saw as well. Those are the things that you're going to use when you say, when I first met him, he was. Okay. When I first met him, he was blah, blah, blah. I liked this about him and he was that. And it may be that as you remember that, you might become a little upset. You might become a little triggered. You might become a little wistful of the the wonderful non-existent person that you met and fell in love with. Yeah. Whatever emotions come up, let them come up right under the pot, let them simmer, but let them come up because you wanna be able to show that there is truth in what you're saying. And that way, what you're doing with that first piece is you're you're basically, you're doing a signaling. You're strategically communicating to them. This was who I first met. And they're thinking, that's who I see too, right? The second um, step in the the three-step formula is you'll then say, then bizarre things started happening or strange or odd this is where you're going to start to list the red flags, the red flags. So it might be something along the lines of, um, he didn't want me to do girls' night out anymore. Um, He didn't want my mother visiting anymore. He wouldn't let my mother help me with our newborn. Um, He sent her away. Um, He, um, you know, any number of red flags, just things where it's kind of like, huh, like you don't feel good about it, but you're in because they wait, they wait until you're in before these red flags really start to appear. Right. When you're thinking about those red flags, I find it's helpful to go through the narcissistic abuse checklist. You can find one online anywhere. Mm-hmm. As to what constitutes narcissistic abuse. And many times, if you're reading a vlog or blog, they'll actually give you sort of some examples. And many of those ring because these narcissists think they're so unique and special, but they're oh. all doing the same things. I love so it. Some of these examples that they give might even be your examples, or they will remind you of other things that you had tried to forget, had yeah. forgotten, whatever it might be. Right. And you want to take a look at those things. You want to say, okay, these are all the things I want to talk about because you want to basically be leading them to the narcissistic water. Right. right. So this is the checklist of narcissism. I'm not ever going to use the word narcissist or abuse. Right. Right. I'm never going to do that. But what I am going to do is I'm going to it out for you by talking about what's true for me, right? And so you'll talk about those things and you don't want to go overboard two to three examples of each type of red flag that you want to talk about, right? Perfect. So then the last piece in uh, the formula is when you talk about the abuse and you don't use the word abuse. So then what you'll say is then he became, and instead of the word abusive, you will fill in whatever synonym works for you you usually won't have to make one up because it's usually the way you've been describing your ex it's the to truth. your friends and family. Yeah, um, Like for me, the word was cruel. Um, so that's the word that I use a lot to, instead of abuse. So um, yeah. then, then he became cruel. And that's when you do start talking about the abuse. Now, when you get to this point, you want to be careful of making sure that the majority of what you're sharing you do have evidence for that you can show got it it's important a lot of people feel like the evaluator especially because they're a psychologist that they're there to listen and they're there to figure things out right (laughs) Right. Uh, and the truth is is that this is carefully crafted because you have to help them so much you really do and so It's important then that it not be just hearsay. It's important that you don't fall into the trap of their sympathetic looks and noises and grunts, Ah. right? It's important that you stick to the program and be strategic with your communication. You never lie. You never lie ever you're only ever telling the truth right but you do have to be strategic about it yeah because these guys work in a certain way they've got the way that they're thinking and you have to help them the other piece of it is you really have to lay things out carefully because you may have to come back to this later and you may have to say that evaluator i told them this this and this and they ignored it should you need to take further steps right but ah. the majority of the time you're not really able to do that. So you want to do your best to nail this evaluation. So when they ask you what your relationship was like and what brought you from start to finish with your ex, mm-hmm. that's basically what your formula is. So you can talk about those cruelty. You can talk about the abuses, punching the holes in the wall. I don't want to be triggering, but you know, you want to bring up the things that happens too often, right? Yeah. The, the, the When they put their hands on you in any way, anything like that. Um, this is where you do say all of those things. Um, so are you going to have proof for all of it? Well, no, some of these things just happen in the moment, right? But here's the thing. If you present proof for most of it, yeah. then they're going to understand that the rest of it
0: tracks. Exactly. And that's when I always tell them, like you said, if you don't have proof for all of it, it's okay. Because at that point, the truth sounds like the truth and yeah. it does. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so you have to, have, you have to carry some confidence with you in that. You, you really know. do.
1: Yeah. yeah. But yeah. always remember this person is not your therapist and no matter how they behave around you, they are not on your side, right? They're yeah. not your friend. There's yeah. no point at which you should believe. I mean, I can't tell you how often clients come out saying that went great. And then it's, you know, they loved me, right? <laughs> they, loved me. They, they believed everything. And it's like, Nope. Every single time you just have to just stay the course, stay the yeah. course,
0: Yep. Yep. And prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Okay. So brings me to my next point, and that was gold, by the way. Thank you so much. Uh, Let's talk about dealing with allegations and lies. Yes.
1: Okay. So um, most evaluators, but not all, will hold on to allegations until the last, right? Ah. Um, Some of them may weave it in throughout, Um, you know, they may say, you know, I met because they like to alternate. So for those of you who um, don't are not near evaluation yet, there's been talk of it, but you're all like, I don't know what this is. Um, Many times they will, um, they'll want to alternate so that they don't appear to be biased. So if they meet with you first, which I highly recommend that you get in there first, because we know psychologically that people are more inclined to believe the first story they hear. Okay. Right? So try to get in there first. Do not despair if you're not first, okay. but just try only because we want to grab every tiny little bit of help we can. Right, because of how good narcissists can charm. So um, they'll meet with you, they'll meet with them, they'll meet with you, them, you, them, you, them. And then somewhere in there, we have the home visit and they might also, or instead of bring the children to their office or to an outdoor location, whatever it might be, right? And then they call the collateral and those are the witnesses, the witness list that you gave. Yes. With the allegations, you know, we do a lot of work on this. Um, I do a lot of work on this, I best foot forward with clients um, because- um when you are dealing with allegations it's going to be one or the other either they're lies which is more likely going to be it right right, right. or they're going to be truths um so when it's lies you just basically want to let's talk about the lies first you want to have as much evidence as you can against it right um, and if you're thinking well i don't know what they're going to accuse you of I would challenge you on that yes. because I would say you actually know probably 95% of what they're going to allege because they are either um, constantly saying it to you yep. or constantly accusing you of it, um, they're or they're constantly putting it out there, what I call their drum beat, because we know that drum beats work. Yes. Um, or they've hinted at it to you. And Mm -hmm. those are the ones you really have to look for. Um, Here's an example Um, with a client today. I was looking at an email her ex had sent to her and he had all this stuff that he was angry about, et cetera. But in there, he said, you know, you don't have to be so OCD about this type of stuff and that type of thing. And she was so focused on all all of this stuff that I was kind of like, do you not see what's happened here? We Mm -hmm. have a clue and we love clues because that means we're prepared for them. Right. So he's going to start calling her OCD, which means most likely he's going to call her anxious and say she has anxiety. Right. And she's going to basically say she's mentally unstable. He's going after mental instability. So we started preparing for uh, that allegation to come up ahead of time. If you know of allegations, I like putting them in your story ahead of time. I like owning the kind of stuff um, before they turn into before um, they're asked of you as allegations. So, oh, how would you describe yourself at work? Well, I'm very detail oriented, which I know was one of the things my ex really loved about the fact that I was on top of things, that I knew what was where, and he would say things like thank God you're on top of that because I'm not and stuff like that. And you know and you yeah, don't see it in a mean way and disparaging way because you're not trying to disparage them. You're trying to get ahead of the whole, she's so OCD because it's kind of like, well, she mentioned that she, he had her in charge of all the details. Yeah. He le- he right. loved when I planned all the vacations and knew every spot and where we were. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you want to, so the first thing you want to do is you, you don't go into these evals without already having all the allegations figured out, even the hinted, hinted ones so that you can ahead of it, get ahead of it, And disarm it, disarm the allegations, the the stuff that's ridiculous or false or whatever. The other type of allegation you're going to get is the stuff that's true. And that falls into two buckets. Uh Either it is a tiny little grain of truth that they turned into a big old lie. Right. Yep. Twisting things, right. Or it is pretty much a bold faced lie, which usually takes the form of she's the abuser. So if we work first with, uh, I'll work with the harder one first, which is the twisting of facts. Um, So- I always say that if there's anything where there's truth that you should do the mea culpa framework and the mea culpa framework is um, I did do that. Uh, I did yell at the kids and I did slap him on his hand. It was the only time I'd ever done it. I was sorry the minute I did it. I told him I, I was sorry and that I was wrong. I I couldn't sleep for two weeks from having done that. Right. So that's your mea culpa. The second piece in that framework is um, here's why it happened. So this should not, this is, you have to be careful here. This should not sound like an excuse and you should not be blaming anybody else. So it could sound something like along the lines of, I was tense from an argument that I just had with my ex. Um, I didn't, I wasn't handling well, I was triggered. Suddenly everything was kind of getting to me and I did something that I never thought I would ever even be capable of doing and there was. And then the last piece of the framework is going to be concrete steps that you've taken to make sure that ah. doesn't happen again so what that doesn't mean is i read a book on corporal punishment mm. it doesn't mean that you can you could say i you know i read a book by dr nicole berkins who i love to recommend to my um clients because her language is great language for evaluators to hear coming from you
0: oh awesome um, good to know okay
1: really what you want to do is you want to say um you know i was so surprised by that that um i you know joined a group support for stress Um, Here's when I go on Tuesday nights. It's on my calendar. This is my accountability partner. Um, Here's, in fact, I'm going to add her to the collateral witness list, if you don't mind, Miss Evaluator, so that you can um, talk to them and and see what I talked about. Um, I'll give her permission to you know, talk to you about that, that type of thing. So, um, or I got a parenting coach. Um, I talk to them once a month and we talk about that. Or I got a therapist to deal with, whatever it might be. Concrete steps that you have physical proof of. Here are receipts. Here's a person, whatever.
0: Fantastic.
1: If they're they're twisting something, um, then you're going to want to say, that piece is true, absolutely. I'm not sure where he's getting the rest, except that I know that um, he has always had a problem with this. He's always going to find whatever the psychosis is inside of what they're twisting, okay, and make it larger. Actually, it, because you're all, how did it get this big? Make it bigger. Make it ah. bigger. So It'll be all kind of like, yeah, he said that I, um, yeah, I did. I, you know what? I did uh, accidentally twist his arm. I was trying to. He was starting to fall down the steps. And I grabbed it and his arm got twisted. I had to take him to the doctor. I mean, I'm glad he didn't fall down the stairs, but it's unfortunate that that happened. He started saying I was abusive. And then I thought back and I thought, oh my God, his dad used to twist his arm when he was small all the time. And he talked about that. We made it huge. Always truthful, always Always truthful, yes. Yes. But you have to think about these things. You have to think, you can't just be on your heels all the time, right? Right, right. Um, You really, really have to be ready and you have to put things back where they belong yes right so try to make it bigger if you can a lot of this stuff is just hard to do in the moment so um, that's right why i do a lot of practice sessions um but not so many because nothing should sound rehearsed right um but remember that here's what i like to tell people when you get out of this type of thing or when you've withstood something big right like a car accident for example let's choose something that's not so triggering right okay um When you tell your story, you're telling almost the same story every time, no matter who you tell it to, because that is your story. Because it's the truth. Yeah. So as long as you're telling the truth, even when you're working with a coach, all the coach is doing is saying, "Mm, I don't think you want to share that, or you're telling too much. Um, Or what about if you talk about this? So it's more about being strategic about the truth that you're sharing, not about lying, not about, not about omitting hundred percent. Yeah. More about understanding what they need to hear and giving them that. And then they can judge that for themselves. Absolutely. And I do, I do love that aha
0: moment when I'm working with clients and, and you say, okay, let's think about positioning it this way. And you say it like that because of this and they'll go, oh, that's great. And and it's the truth. That is what I said. I know that's, you know, that's, that's why I'm suggesting it. That's the beauty of this is it is the truth. It is just about the kids. It is because you were scared. It is because, you know, you were worried about him or, or that, you know, and so it is, so brilliant when you can finally, you know, get the client to that place where it's like, you are just telling the truth,
1: but we just right. got to talk about always, how to do it. Always. Yeah. 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 It is having a hard um, enough time sleeping at night with all the stress. You don't need uh, that, <laughs> you know? That so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's not get down in the weeds with them on that level. Um, when it comes to lying and making things up. So what would you say is one surprise? Like that is a, a super important thing about this process that people might be surprised about, you know, it, it, the, the, One of the last interviews, the
1: first interview, I know all of it's important, but. Yeah, it's, it usually it's at the tail end of these things, right? Um, Usually it is the accusations and the allegations. And the reason why is because, um, Whether evaluators are doing it as a manipulative tactic, which I'm sorry to say many of them do, Mm -hmm. or whether they're trying to get at the truth and they're just not skilled enough to do it a different way, they might come at you a bit with some of those allegations Mm. and they might own those allegations and they might say, they might start using, um, I hear this too often, it's heartbreaking, they start to speak the same kind of vernacular that your ex speaks they're starting to say the same things as your ex mm. um, and they might come at you with these accusations so instead of saying something along the lines of your ex says that you twisted your son's arm they might come at you and say why did you twist your son's arm like that what kind of a mother does that and I've absolutely heard evaluators do that um, I've absolutely heard it from recordings um, in states where that's allowed, um, where recordings where my clients have made them, and we've analyzed them to help, and you can hear these things happening. That's hard, especially if you've come away from the first two or three interviews being all like, man, this evaluator gets it. This evaluator sees my ex for who he is. And then at that last moment, it's kind of like, actually, I found out some things about you and now I'd like to hear you answer for them. Mm -hmm. And when they start to use even a tone of voice that's similar to the one that I'm gently using now, Uh man, can that be triggering? Because that's often how you've been spoken to by your abuser. I already
0: have the chills. Yeah. Just listening to you. I mean, honestly, yeah. Right. So
1: it's that can undo all of the preparation that you've done. So you've got to stay solid. One of the things um, that works is obviously doing practice sessions with your coach. Um, I know a lot of lawyers won't do this kind of stuff. Some consider it unethical um, because of some sort of a relationship between lawyers and evaluators in some jurisdictions. And they'll speak to you if that's the case. Most of them just aren't skilled in it because it's not their wheelhouse. Their wheelhouse is case law and process and procedure, right? Yeah. You know, you really want to sit and be doing these practice sessions so you can, and you should be recording them um, so that you can see what you're like as well and hear what you're like as well and get that objective feedback. Great idea. But the other thing that I've had a lot of clients say works for them is to have a touchstone. And so um, you know there's a couple of different ways to do that. For some people, it's simply a mantra that you make up and it should be something that is one quick sentence that just can keep repeating in your head, right? Um, An example might be, I am a fit, loving parent who will get full custody. I am a fit, loving parent. I'm a mentally fit, loving parent who will get full custody again and again and again, right, in your head. Right. Yeah. The other thing might be something physical. I have clients who really like to wear. Um, you can go into a crystal shop, for example, mm-hmm. or you can give this a gift, just those beads uh, um that you can then just caress. Yes. Um, do you see what I'm saying? The yes. break, they're just holding on to it and they're caressing it. Yeah. Or they will have an actual touchstone, like a beautiful smooth pebble or stone. And maybe it's a crystal, maybe it's a rock that they fell in love with that their son gave them from the garden garden right that is in your pocket that is in your hand or whatever and you're rubbing it that touchstone this is incredibly powerful stuff and i'm not talking like um you know voodoo type stuff i'm talking right. you know physiologically yeah that your nerves nervous system is centering on something which means it's not going haywire and you can't go haywire when you hear a tone of voice or you're being accused again by somebody who's supposed to be helping you protect your children yep um, and then the last thing I'll suggest is um, ac- acupressure. So there's the, the web between your thumb and your forefinger. Yes. You take your thumb and go all the way to where that V is. And you start to hit bone and you Huge just rub fan it pretty that. firmly. It actually kind of hurts a little when you do it. Huge um, fan. On pain. But if you push that, that is also that is acupressure. Um, that's an acupressure point, I mean. And so that will also, that um, calms your nervous system and uh, helps with headaches. But in a moment, it'll calm your nervous system as well. That's a huge one for me. It does it release the stress from my body instantly.
0: And that's also to your point, I, in a similar situation, had a coin. So it's kind of a hybrid of what you suggested that said this too shall pass. And so I would touch it and I just thought, hold it together, you're gonna get through this. It's going to be over in a minute, but you're going to stick with the plan, just hold it together. And I just, I had that between my two fingers and just touched it. And you're absolutely right. Just that physiological.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it is that sometimes it's telling yourself that you'll be okay for some people. I, and I, I just, I'm so glad that you gave that example. And I gave the example, because I want to show, I want to point out the difference between the two examples, because for some people Saying "get it together" gets them there. For some people, it actually does nothing for them. because kind of like, "but this is where I'm at." Yeah. So then you would want to do the other type of mantra where you're just basically forecasting the end, which is, "I am a," you know, "I am a parent who has custody. I'm a mother who lives with her child. Whatever it might be, um, something that is." Um, going to remind you that this is going to be what's going to come and different people are different. So um, you want to figure out what your mantra is. And yes, it might be something where you're comforting yourself at the moment. It might be something where you're saying, nope, this is where this is going to end. And it might be something in between that we haven't given you an example for, right? So your mantra is going to be your mantra. So there's a lot of, you know, I can't give you any particular, but there's some great um, websites where you could do mantra work. If, if you don't feel like it's connecting with you, um, sure. I think mantra workshops are fun, but more importantly, you can come out from a mantra workshop with something so incredibly valuable
0: for you. I agree. That is awesome. Renee Rodriguez, thank you so much for joining me. This is uh, just been so valuable. I know that if uh, folks out there go to
1: bestfootforwardlc.com, you have a free masterclass, correct? Yes, we do. So you can um, go to that website, um, and uh, just click on that. And there's about a 30, 35 minute uh, free masterclass. Um, which you can sign up for, which people uh, say have really made a difference for them. And that's free of charge. Awesome. Awesome. Yes. Check out Renee's website because she does have uh,
0: templates that you can download uh, for purchase and join your custody warrior program, which is awesome. And they can find out more about that. So I really appreciate your time. You have been fabulous and uh, hopefully I will get to talk to you again soon. Yes, hope so. Thank you so much
1: for having me, Jackie.